It's your Friday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Happy to have you guys back for another day. Final show of the week, although um, Gophers men's hockey team making it possible that there could be special edition over the weekend. We'll see about that. More on that in a little bit. They beat Boston University 6-2 to in the national semifinals on Thursday afternoon, evening, however you want to classify that. Um, we'll get to that here in a little bit more in a minute. A tight game that became a little bit more breathing room in the third period. Um, got Jim Suhan from the Masters. Phil Miller, Twins beat writer, joins me to set up today's home opener against the Astros. Just kind of an update on where this team is after six games. A lot of the really good pitching they've had, some of the pace of play stuff. Always good to catch up with Phil Miller. Does a great job covering the Twins for the Star Tribune. And a, and a college basketball thought at the end about Jamison Battle. First, though, what did I miss? Like I said, we got to start hockey. Uh, both the Gophers and the Wild, kind of a tale of two games, uh, two, two outcomes, two feelings, two moods right now. Gophers on top of the world, 6-2 winners over Boston University. A tight game, like I mentioned just a minute ago. Um, Two to two going into the third period, and if you are a Minnesota sports fan of a certain mind, if you go into certain occasions pessimistic or worried about the worst thing possibly happening, um, this was a tough game for you to watch because it was it, it felt like something bad was going to happen because the Gophers kept hitting goalposts; they kept having goals that were disallowed or almost in but not ruled in upon further review and when you do that for a long enough time in an elimination game in a winner go home game against a good opponent like Boston University you do get worried from time to time that something bad is going to happen in the end that you've wasted all your chances that you know something's going to happen in the game flow because the Gophers certainly had the better of the play the better of the chances through two periods but they were not getting rewarded on the scoreboard and when you do that long enough you can say one of two things hey you can say hey um hey we're, we're playing better than them if we keep doing this we're going to get rewarded um but b you can also think hey um this might just might not be our night and then something happens and then the dam breaks the other way next thing you know you're going home and that's happened in minnesota sports a lot over the years and in big games especially things like that tend to happen and it's not always just that it's it's you know just teams here coming up short but it, it's had the feeling of a game where gophers are favored gophers have all the talent in the world but it's still 2-2 in the third and then it's anybody's game and then luke middlestead shows up and changes everything with two quick goals to start the third period, one of them on the power play, one of them at even strength, both of them from similar locations through screens, um, just just be beautiful little snipes of his to get them to forward two, and it just felt from there on that they had the game locked down, got a couple empty net goals later on in the final few minutes to make it 6-2, but that's what good teams do, and we forget about that sometimes, right? That, 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 that the other option that I mentioned when you are playing well but not getting rewarded is to stick with it and then good things will happen eventually. And that's what happened for the Gophers in this game. Um, and Bob Motzko kind of summed up the tension pretty well in his post-game news conference. Let's play a little clip of that right now. I liked us tonight and there we were. I thought we were playing well, you know, we, we, and there we were tied in the third period. And I, you know, we had some, uh, 
you know, unfortunate ones called back and another one's on the goal line that kind of looked like it was in, but it was inconclusive. And, um, but our guys stuck with it. And, and then, uh, you know, the, the Kester power play three goals tonight. We're, we're, you know, and Luke Middlestat's a heck of a player. Uh, great job tonight, Luke. Um, and then we, we got our chances and we finished this thing. So. But it's a testament to the Gophers' skill, fortitude, whatever got them through that they turned this into a win and a fairly comfortable one at the end and not a crushing defeat. And so now they get to play Quinnipiac, which uh, surprise, I'd say, winner over Michigan in the other semifinal, 5-2. to two. That will be a test, certainly. If, that's teams, if that team's good enough to beat Michigan, they are good enough to beat anybody because Michigan is an awfully good team. So that championship game Saturday will be a big test, but the Gophers have a great chance to win their first national title in 20 years. We'll see if they can finish the job on Saturday. Now the Wild, conversely, lose 4-1 to the Penguins, their third loss in a row. Now one of those was a, a shootout loss to the, to the uh, Golden Knights, so... Did get a point in those last three games, but you know, dropping the one to the Golden Knights before that, dropping the one now to Pittsburgh. So three in a row, not a good time of year for a three-game losing streak. It feels a lot like they are going to not win the division now and just battling for second, uh, potentially with Dallas, maybe with Colorado, though Colorado feels like they are pouring it on right now. Um, feels like the thing that they're doing, but kind of a dis- just a disappointing all-around game effort. They lose a couple players to injury, including Joel Erickson-Eck. We don't know the severity of that, but that would be very damaging to any postseason prospects because they need him. And not just their biggest shutdown center defensively, but adds a lot of offenses offensively as well. So see the severity of that. They're hoping to get um, Kirill Kaprizov back soon. That would be a big boost. But you know they need to be closer to full health in the postseason uh in to, to feel like they're gonna they're gonna have their game in shape and the matchup right now might not be great they might wind up in third in the central again some games left to play they've still got four left they still got a chance to to get themselves back into a home ice situation but this little skid they've been on and again i don't think they've been playing terribly they've just been playing good teams and this is going to happen sometimes their margins are pretty thin um this not a great time for this right now We'll see if they're able to pull out of it and get some get some more points down the stretch. But they might just be in this spot right now where they're, they're trying to get their game back into the spot they want it going into the playoffs instead of worrying too much about where they're going to finish in the playoff seating. But for a team that looked like it might win the Central just a week ago, I feel like that hope is all but dashed just from a few games and a few bad outcomes. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Baseball season, it's finally feeling like spring maybe has arrived in uh, in Minnesota. Some pretty good forecasts coming for the next uh, foreseeable future. Twins home opener already pushed back by a day to Friday, but that just gave me a little extra time to talk Twins. And I want to bring in Phil Miller right now, Twins beat writer for the Star Tribune. Um, Phil, pretty much everything we thought about this team has come true in the first six games, is it not? 
yeah, just like we thought, uh, the Twins have by far and away the best pitching staff in uh, in baseball. Uh, yet again, um, it's uh, it's been a remarkable first week. It, it is heartening. The Twins have given up uh, the fewest runs in uh, in baseball, um, half many as the great majority of teams in the American League. Uh, best ERA, um, just eleven runs in six games. You really wonder how much we've learned about uh, about their pitching capabilities, but, uh, you know, it's better than not having that happen. Now the Astros come to town and we get a uh, probably a little better measure of how things stand and uh, what kind of season uh, we can expect. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, that you're right. They're the two teams that are not tearing the, the cover off the ball with the Royals and the Marlins. But, you know, I was joking a little bit at the beginning, but we did think that the pitching – probably would be the strength of this team or that if they were going to succeed it would probably be on the the back of the pitching staff and and, and probably more than anything the, the starting pitching staff and what have the starters given up four runs in six games so far and then four runs in six games yeah no pitcher has given up uh more than one run uh so far and uh and pablo lopez has uh pitched twice uh and has only given up one run it's uh it has been uh, in the twins uh, sold uh, people on the strength of their starting rotation. It's it's only a week. It's it's not going to be this way the whole year. But uh, uh, they uh, they did a good job of getting these guys ready uh, in spring training, and their faith in uh, you know in in the quality of this pitching. Uh, Thad Levine told me they don't have any number four or five starters in this rotation. Uh, it was borne out in you know, a couple of good run environments for them, but, uh, you know, that it, it, it's hard to tell if they're pitching well or if they're playing bad teams. It's uh, obviously been a little of both so far. Lopez, though, like you mentioned, I mean, he, again, just two starts, but you have to like the way he works, the the pitch mix, the the velocity. He does seem like he's got top end of the rotation stuff and makeup to a certain degree. It's it's been something to watch the movement that he's getting on his pitches, uh, and then he's got that new sweeper that uh, looks like it's going to be the same, and then and then just heads for the outside corner. Uh, his his two games have been uh, really something to watch. It, it, you're right; uh, he's he's got enough velocity to uh, to blow up by guys uh, high in the strike zone, and he's got so much movement. Great pitch mix. They added a another pitch and. Uh, yeah, he has he has looked uh, like an ace. Uh, explain to me, Phil, what is a sweeper? I, I again, I, I see this on the you know the stat cast and things like that. I, I'm I just I, I'm not familiar with this pitch. Doesn't go up or down as much, but it's it's almost like a frisbee uh, kind of movement. Okay, it's, you uh, most pitches you try to get some downward break to to dip under the bat sure. and with a slider to also uh, break. Uh, so it's more of a, uh, it, it's going to the side as well a little bit. This is just trying to maximize how much, uh, how much horizontal break you can get uh, throwing it uh, relatively hard. I think uh, Lopez is, is in the mid eighties, uh, which is hard enough when, uh, when his fastball rides inside and his, uh, his new sweepers riding outside, it's, 
not thrown exactly with kind of the, uh, it's almost a football motion that you throw the uh, slider with. It's thrown more like a fastball, but it is kind of putting uh, torque on the ball to, uh, to make it break sideways. Um, I can tell you that uh, it's easier to throw if you have sticky stuff on your fingers, but ah. that's not done uh, anymore. Uh, and so it, it's, it's just a, an ability that he had that the twins identified uh, and they are just trying to uh, maximize the amount of break they get. And it breaks like a foot from uh, yeah. when uh, when it's coming towards the plate. It's it's not a small break. Uh, a, a lot of pitches, uh, big curveballs have a lot of break, but um, not many pitches get not many pitchers get this much uh, sideways break uh, on their pitch. Now the downside here is that unless Joey Gallo has been hitting balls very far and very hard, the offense just doesn't, doesn't look like they've really done much again. Um, I think they ran into a couple of pretty good pitchers in, with, with the Marlins for sure. And, you know, in, in Kansas city had the top of their rotation when, when they faced the Royals, but that, that's gotta be, you know, again, we thought maybe the pitching would be ahead of the hitting and would be the thing that could potentially carry this team if they were going to be good. Um, that said, they, they got to be a little bit more consistent on offense because they've been putting up a lot of ones and twos in these games they've lost. Yeah, they've got to get guys on base uh, near the bottom or at the bottom. I think they're like three from the bottom in baseball and uh, on base percentage. Uh, and against right-handers, it's been, uh, which they've faced five of them, it was really pronounced. Uh, it you know it says something that uh, the, the two guys that have led off the Twins uh, lineup against right-handers, uh, Max Kepler and Nick Gordon. Uh, Max's on-base percentage is like 120, and Nick's is below 100. Neither one of them are, are getting on base, not that they're getting uh, that many hits behind them. But uh, there's a couple of guys on the team that are that are off to a good starts, uh, Byron Buxton and uh, uh, Joey Gallo and, and uh, Ryan Jeffers, uh, a couple yeah. times he's played. But uh, – uh, it's really been noticeable how uh, how much difficulty they're having uh, getting on base, drawing walks. Um, even when they get a hit, there's, there's generally nobody to drive in. Uh, they thought that would be a problem. And uh, again, it's only one week, but um, it, it's uh, that is something that, uh, that's got to worry them a little bit. If uh, um, I think Max has two hits and one of them is a home run, uh, He's let off four times, and that's not exactly uh, setting the table for the offense behind him. No, it's not. And it's, you know, in some of this lack of offense combined with the good pitching they're getting has exaggerated some of the game times. But, Phil, my goodness, I mean, if we're talking about going into the season wondering what the impact of the new, you know, pitch clock, time between time between batter rules, things like that, the shift, things like that would be. I don't think there's been a game this year that's been longer than 235, and there was one that was 157. I mean, th- these things are flying by, and I-, I love it, but it's it's very it's noticeable now that you're now that we're paying attention to it. Yeah, I uh, I always look up after an hour after first pitch because I'm kind of keeping track of where they are in the game, uh, and they're generally always in the fourth inning. Yesterday they were in the fifth inning. Uh, I, I think uh, they might have completed five innings. They might have. Uh, walking on the, off the field yesterday uh at an hour it is uh it is remarkable how much uh 
uh, in a low-scoring game, and the Twins haven't had any high-scoring games yet. In a low-scoring game, the innings just fly by uh, to the point where Rocco Baldelli is is concerned that uh, his starting pitchers are are getting like three minutes between innings, and then they're back out there. Um, you know, they're they're healthy and in good shape now, but uh, you know, you you want your uh, offense to to uh, take a little more time. Uh, these one, two, three innings, some of them are, are taking place in a minute and a half, two, uh, two minutes. But that said, you're right. It is pretty great because the only thing that they've removed is the stalling is the standing right. around there. You know, there's just as much action. It's just that uh, we're not, you know, they're not stepping out. They're not walking around the mound. I have been, I've been really impressed by how the umpires have, uh, kept up enforcement of it. I, I really thought there'd be some letting it slide uh, happening once the season started. You know, uh, we're going to call traveling this year, that sort of thing. Right. Uh, Roughing the passer uh, like, will be emphasized this year. Yeah, yeah. Like the NBA always says, you know, this year, yeah, we're going to speed up the game. But they have stuck to the letter of the law. And uh, and I I would imagine most fans are pretty happy with it, too. It's a It's an easier watch on TV. I think Rocco's comments came in the Maeda start, right? Where he was removed in the sixth inning and there was maybe some thought that the pace was something that was, you know, contributed to him. He was shaking off his arm a little bit. He seems like he's okay, right? They don't seem like overly concerned with him and he's not scheduled to start for a few days now anyway. Right. Uh, it doesn't appear to be serious. He pitches Monday. Uh, so I, uh, I, I think they're pretty confident that, uh, that he's going to be okay. Um, I did ask Joe Ryan. He had uh, he had a uh, like a twenty seven pitch inning, and then had to come right back out uh, after uh, the Twins went out one two three, and, and he said, "Yeah, it's not that big a deal. Uh, you don't you don't really notice it uh, that he didn't feel feel tired or anything. It's it's April and not August, uh, so we'll see. Uh, that's something to keep track of, and you can." Be sure the twins are uh, are tracking that, but uh, um, yeah, so far uh, so far so good on uh, on all of on all the style points that uh, the game is getting right now. Well, and those will become even more noticeable now that they play at home. That series against the Astros starting Friday was supposed to start uh, start Thursday, but now starting Friday today. Um, and you know it's. Games for first pitch is what three ten, so the game will be over around five thirty. Um, and you can go have a have a nice. Uh, <laughs> it's an hour. It's two twenty, Mike. Uh, you're uh, you're right on board with this uh, this pace, but you're right. That's how they've been going. Yeah, and you know this one could could take a little longer. Houston's got a lot of veteran hitters and and things like that. But um, you know, joking about the the time of game aside, I think your point about the test they're going to get, and I think they have a bunch against the Yankees later this month, right? They get a lot of those. Yes. We get those out of the way right away. We'll we'll learn more now. I think we learned some against the, the the Royals and Marlins, but this is definitely a step up in class. And like you and I talked about last time, a couple of weeks ago before the season started, like this this is a team that that just clobbered them up and down the field last year. And um, yeah. if you're going to show that this is different, this is a way to do it. Well, they won't be facing Justin Verlander this no. year, which uh, so the. Uh, the no hit potential is uh, is greatly reduced. Uh, yeah, uh, this is a yeah the world champions, a veteran team, uh, a little emotional, I'm sure, for uh, Carlos Correa 
to see his old teammates. Uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to see how they, uh, how they match up now against, uh, I actually think the Marlins will be all right. Uh, but you know, the, the Royals look like uh, a bottom dweller, a rebuilder. Uh, so I'm, I'm ready to see how they uh, match up against a, a good team. That's, uh, that's trying hard. They've got a lot of ballpark enhancements too for people going out to Target Field for the first time. They got new scoreboards. I was out there checking those out a couple weeks ago, I think it was. And mm-hmm. you know, I think the the new the new scoreboards, like the sixth biggest in the majors. It's it's definitely noticeable when you get there. Um, I think this the thing I still notice the most there is that big condo apartment tower going up in left field. Yeah. That thing is just ama- it's the thing is immense and it's it's right there. It's right on top of you essentially. But uh and they've got some new things out there. They've they put a lot of money into ballpark improvements. And I still I still think of Target Field as being new, but this is season what fourteen at Target Field. It, it's not brand new anymore. Yeah, it's uh, it, it goes fast, doesn't it? Uh, it it I was I was surprised at how much uh, money and effort has gone into the rebranding, especially the the logo considering that the logo didn't change that much they removed every trace of the previous tc logo uh in in fort myers and you know they're only there they're only playing for a month there yeah. uh it it the uh they they replaced a gigantic uh 15 foot high steel uh team logo and replaced it with one that has a little bit different uh, uh, T on it uh, because that's the new branding. They are definitely are going all out. I, I, you're right about that uh, office, I mean, that that apartment. It'll be condos, apartments, uh, offices, uh, yep. some rental uh, places in that building. It's like when it's finished and there are balconies out there and there are people out there, I, I really think it might be like a, a whole nother section of fans uh, watching the game that will be uh, – um, it, it definitely changes the uh, the sight lines in the ballpark, but uh, yeah, they uh, they are uh, putting money back into the park to uh, to keep it fresh, and I'm uh, interested to see uh, how much different it is this year. I am too. Well, we'll we'll check it all out. Uh, opener, like I said, Friday afternoon. A bunch of a uh, bunch of home games after that, and the weather. Finally getting better. Um, looks like mid seventies by the middle of uh, of next week. I'll believe it when I see it, Phil. But it's been it's been chilly here. I think we're ready for some uh, some warmer some warmer days and some outdoor baseball. Uh, I think talking like this just ensures the first May snowfall and twins just <laughs> you know we jinxed it's coming. it. We jinxed yeah, it. Well, yeah, yeah. we'll see. I'll take I'll take the blame for that as always. But uh, Phil, appreciate it. Follow Phil's coverage, of course, from Target Field, and uh, we'll I'm sure we'll talk soon. Okay, Mike. Thanks a lot. And I think Phil made a good point about the Astros and just what a test this is going to be because the Twins got absolutely clobbered by the Astros all six games last season. And even though this is just, you know, early April baseball, if you want to show that this is different, like we talked about, you need to you need to play much better in this series than you did against the Astros last year. I'm not calling these must-win games. I'm just talking about how this feels, how this looks. Because even when the Twins were winning and competitive last year until that final month, They were not competitive against the best teams. I want to see more against the Astros, against the Yankees this year to let me know that this is a team that, you know, won't just maybe hang around the fringes of the race, but could actually do something once and if they get to the postseason.
Let's bring on Jim Suhan from the Masters again. Star Tribune columnist is out in Augusta. Hey, Jim, uh, just looking at the leaderboard from Thursday, and they're about to go off again uh, again Friday for round two here. Um, a lot of low scores Thursday. Seems like a pretty good leaderboard. Yeah, it, the course was wet. The greens were receptive. The putting this putting surfaces weren't particularly fast. And there was really no wind to speak of. So if you played well yesterday, you could get, uh, you could attack the par fives. You know, there's a lot of concern about number 13 and about they, they worried, a lot of people worried that they'd turned a great risk reward par five into just a, you know, a hole that people are going to lay up and hit wedge in all day. And that really didn't happen. What happened was people went at it with four irons, five irons, uh, you know, fairway woods, but the greens were receptive enough. They could do that and still hit it. It's, it's, Things are probably about to change here. I'm standing here in the media center. We look out at the uh, driving range. It's threatening. It's gonna. It's probably going to rain at least lightly all day. It's supposed to get worse and windier later Friday. And then Saturday, it's supposed to rain like crazy. Sunday, the you know, depending, it might rain or it might not. We're not sure yet. Uh, but, you know, yesterday was the day to score. Today, scoring might be fairly easy early on. Once again, we might have to be talking about light rain and not much wind. And so the people played yesterday afternoon and this morning might have a huge advantage uh, because it might be once the wind starts blowing, it might be, you know, a day and a half of really difficult scoring. That's interesting, too, because you don't think about golf as being, you know, a, a sport where, you know, someone's going to gain a particular like home field advantage or, or advantage from the conditions. But you're right when they can change so fast, if you can play when it's easier to score, I mean, it just goes without saying that you are going to have a better time. Um, but like you said, Thursday, uh, a lot of people did not have much problem scoring a lot of seven, six, five unders. Uh, well, Scheffler, I think it was four under. You saw Rom at seven under. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's not just a packed leaderboard with low scores. It's a lot of the notable names that we thought we'd see going in. It's a great leaderboard. And, you know, as a writer, I cheer for good stories and interesting people. And this leaderboard is just packed with it. And you got an amateur, uh, Bennett from Texas A&M, who played great and hits it incredibly well. You got Scheffler trying to defend. Scheffler shot a 68 yesterday, and he could have had a 63. He had so many makeable birdie and eagle putts they just missed. Uh, to shoot a 68 and leave five shots on the course is pretty remarkable. It tells you what kind of a ball striker he is. Uh, you know, you got Woodland's a... Uh, major winner. You got uh, Day, a major winner. Ron has won a major. Kepka's won four majors. Uh, uh, Lowry has won a major. Uh, Burns is a, a, a wonderful young player. Uh, there are just so many great names on that leaderboard. And Cam Young's a, a world class guy. Hovland's a world class ball striker. Uh, what's going to be interesting, though, is yesterday I think it was a ball striking day uh, when you start dealing with wind and if they can make, if they can find a way to make the, and if they, make the pin locations more difficult, which I think they will, you know, all of a sudden those 65s can turn into 72s real quick. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Phil Mickelson, you wrote about him for Friday's Star Tribune. I think he shot well, he shot a 71, had some adventures out there as he always did. But the notable thing to me from what you wrote is, you know, the, the talent or and the shot making is still there, even, you know, even into his 50s now. But the personality has certainly changed, or at least outwardly in how he's, carrying himself around the course at Augusta. He's always been a guy who a lot of his fellow golfers hated. Yes. Uh, just r- pure arrogance. Uh, you know, he, he ripped on uh, uh, Tom Watson as a Ryder Cup captain. He did many selfish things over the years. He really made a lot of enemies. He, and, you know, Tiger Woods hated him for a long time. They didn't really patch things up until 
I think it was the the Hazeltine Ryder Company. They, were, they decided to unite to help the team. Right. Woods Woods always hated his guts, um, and now you know he's gone through an interesting period here. Interesting is the nicest thing I can say. Yes. He he basically you know and Alan Shipnick, a great uh, golf writer, did a book on him and kind of painted the picture that we're talking about here in vivid detail. And I think from what I've heard, left out some stuff that might have been even more damaging. Just uh, and Mickelson, you know. He, admitted to Shipnick that, hey, yeah, the Saudis, uh, you know, they murder people, they are human rights abusers, they chopped up a Washington Post reporter, literally chopped up a Washington Post reporter. Um, And he admitted all that in there. And he went and and joined Libtor and became their, like, greatest spokesman. And he is, and he's, he's here this week. He skipped the Masters last year, and I think there were other things going on in his life besides just the live stuff. Uh, But he's here this week, and Usually when he's here, he is the life of the party. He talk, he raves about the Masters. He loves the tournament. He's won it three times. This is where he had his breakthrough. Um, you know, he's, he loves everything about this. He loves being the person people ask about this. And this week, he didn't go to the interview room. He was very cautious uh, in when he did do an interview outside the, uh, you know, by, over by the interview area by the course, which is usually more short and perfunctory. Uh, he, and he's like so many people have been in the spotlight. He knows how to take a difficult question and just ignore it and give an answer that sure. just gets him to the next question. He hasn't really addressed stuff. Uh, what I really found interesting is I walked with him yesterday and he used to get the second biggest galleries out here. Tiger Woods, sure. of course, draws the biggest, but Mickelson had, he, he's always had that populist thing where he would look people in the eye and give them the thumbs up and smile. It's a phony smile. It's complete BS, but that's what he does. And that's all it takes to win over fans, right? right. Uh, that, and, and then you combine that with the fact that he does hit shots nobody else in the world would even attempt. He is a, fu- listen, if you mo- remove the, the personality stuff, I, he is the most fun golfer we've ever seen. Oh, I yeah. Mean, he, he tries every. He's, he's an amusement, amusement park. Uh, but yesterday, the, the crowds were not big around him. They hmm. were not loud. He was getting smattering of people yelling for him. But it was like a one voice at a time thing, not a crowd thing. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's just got to be. I mean, some of that could be a product of age and where his status is on the tour now. But I, would, I wouldn't think so. I mean, there's there's no. definitely there's definitely guys that... That, that would pull the crowd even into their kind of twilight years of, of being competitive. So that's, that's interesting. It's, it's just kind of a, a an interesting sideshow to watch out there. Um, Jim, final thoughts. You, you mentioned rain a little while ago. Are they starting to worry again that this could get dicey in terms of finishing in, on time Sunday or we, do we just not know yet? We don't know. They're definitely, are they worried about it? Yes. Will they do everything in their power to finish on Sunday in prime time on CBS, yes. So I think that I think my guess is looking at the forecast right now is they will get most of the round in today. Uh, then the question is, how bad is it tomorrow? Can you get any golf in on Saturday? The first uh, first Masters I ever covered was 2005 down here, and they played basically a round and a half on Sunday to get it yeah. all in. Um, but I wouldn't put it past them to play 36 holes if they have to on Sunday. They they don't want a Monday finish. And what the Masters wants, the Masters usually gets. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, good stuff, Jim. We'll keep reading your coverage down in Augusta. We'll see what happens over the weekend. Uh, Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks, Mike. So much to watch right now. Masters, Gopher Hockey, Wild, Timberwolves. um, Just so much on right now. Twins opening day. So, so much. But Jim does a great job covering it down in Augusta. I'm sure a lot of you will be watching over the weekend as they try to 
get this thing in, get this thing played through the weather. Maybe they should play it here. It's going to be a lot nicer here probably than it is in Augusta for some of these weekend days. Looking at the extended forecast, I'm seeing like an 80 next Wednesday. I'll believe it when I see it, but I am ready for that. And I'm ready for the cooler as well. It's finished there. Jamison Battle, Gophers men's basketball player no longer, going to Ohio State through the transfer portal. I was My eyebrows were up a month or two ago when he said he was turning pro. I was like, turning pro where? No disparaging Jamison Battle, but I don't see like he has NBA potential for sure. But I'm sure he could make some money overseas at some point. He's probably going to make some money at Ohio State through the name, image, and likeness program they have going over there. Just another example of they got to get that thing going here. I know they're trying. I know this is you know a new world order for a lot of you. Be like, why? Why is money so important? Well, money's important to all of us. If you had a chance to play college basketball somewhere where you are getting a certain amount of money versus a place where you are not, um, it's an enticement. It just is. It's not everything, but it is certainly an enticement. So if that's what motivated or partially motivated Jamison Battle transferring to Ohio State for another year, then that is that is the new reality and something that's going to be part of this game, and the Gophers need to play catch-up so they are not fighting these battles. That will do it for me today. That was not an intentional pun, by the way, with the battle. Um, that'll do it for me today. Good shows coming up next week, I'm sure. Could be a special edition if the Gophers win this thing on Saturday night. We'll have to check in on that, see what's possible. But uh, that could be something that drops over the weekend as well. Royce and I for sure on Monday. Have a great weekend. Back at it again then.